So we're going to jump into the Word today. Um, we are continuing our series, More Like Jesus, and I'm excited about this series uh, just because I like to talk about Jesus. I think um, it's one of those things, if we're not careful in church, I, I told you this last week, we can become um, an institution that does a lot of really good motivational speeches but if we're not talking about Jesus, then what's the point, right? Like, as a, as a Christian, the word Christian literally means little Christ. It means someone that's supposed to be like Jesus. And so our goal should be always to become like Christ. That, that should be our goal in everything that we do. And so uh, today we're going to continue to talk about Jesus. We're talking about the habits that, that Jesus had. We're talking about the culture that, that Jesus had around him with his disciples and, and in his ministry. And, and so our goal is to look at these different aspects of his life and then try to figure out how can I apply these same aspects to my life? How can I take what he's doing and make it my own? And so today we're going to get into that. Before we do, um, how many of you how many of you got messed up with the time change? Did anybody get up later than you thought you would? Yes, yes, yes. Some people did. Um, I, I know this morning we did not set the clock in our bedroom, but of course your phone always is going to be right. And, and I started waking up about three o'clock in the morning. I started waking up and I started looking at the clock and I'm trying to do math in my head. And I'm trying to figure out, did I change the clock? And so I'd have to get my phone out and look at it. Nope, I didn't change that clock. I put my phone back down. I'd wake up about 3.30, 4 o'clock, I'd look at the clock, I'd have to look at my phone, I did not sleep well, I did not sleep well, and so, um, but I remember one time when I was younger, and uh, I, I, after high school I went um, into, this, uh, into this ministry training program, and it was more hands-on, we did a lot of traveling, we went to other countries, we went around the nation, and I remember on this Sunday, uh, Time Change Sunday, I was in Florida one time, and so we go to Florida, and, and we always, we were cheap, so we had to stay in home openers. And so I'm staying in these people's house, and I remember that I only had one pair of blue jeans, and uh, I, had, I had gotten them dirty the night before. The, the lady said, hey, I'll wash your jeans and dry them for you, wash all, all y'all's clothes and dry them for you. And so she's washing my jeans. Well, I wake up on Time t Change Sunday, and that was before I had a cell phone and before my watch would change by itself. And so I can't figure out what time it really is. And I don't know if they've changed the clocks in their house. And so I'm looking at one particular clock and it says it's time to go. And so I grabbed my partner, the guy that was with me. I said, Hey man, we got to get out of here. Like we got to go. And he's like, Oh no, look at the clock. We got to get out of here. So we take off. Well, my jeans were still in the dryer. The lady had just put them in the dryer. And so I grabbed my jeans and she says, aren't you going to wait until your jeans are dry? I was like, no, man, we've got to go right now. We're late. So I grabbed my jeans out of the dryer and I put on wet blue jeans and I went to the church and we get to the church and when we get to the church where we're supposed to be ministering as a Sunday morning, we get there and nobody is there. And I was like, what is happening? And then we see the, the, the guy, the janitor show up to open the building and we were like, sir, where is everybody? He said, son, the time changed. He said, you're here, you know, an hour before you're supposed to be here. And so I had to go the rest of that day um, in wet blue jeans. And I believe we drove home from Florida that day back to Birmingham. And uh, needless to say, my pants stunk really bad. So at least you don't have on wet pants today. Um, today we're going to talk about one aspect of Jesus's life, and it's the aspect of prayer. Prayer was central to the life of Christ. 
if you read through the New Testament, you read through the first four Gospels, one of the things you're going to find out is that Jesus prayed, and he prayed a lot. Not only did he pray, he prayed in private, he prayed in public, he, he prayed on boats, he prayed on land. Jesus prayed anywhere and everywhere he was. He prayed over food, he prayed over dead people, he, he prayed over little kids. Jesus was constantly praying. It was a big part of his life, and so prayer needs to be a big part of our life. It's an aspect we need to include. I just want to point out a couple of quick verses, um, and I don't know if, if, uh, if you'll even be able to keep up with me on this one, but, but Mark 1, 35, before daybreak the next morning, uh, whoops, did I do Mark? Yeah, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Luke five sixteen. but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. So this is something that he does often. It's a, it's a custom of his. Matthew 14, 23, after sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. For all of you introverts out there that have to struggle with being a part of a crowd. Notice that Jesus was a part of a crowd. Then he sent them all home and he said, I got to go be by myself. Right? If, you, if you're an introvert, you know what that feels like. He's like, I got to get away from the disciples. I got to get away from the people. I got to go be by myself and do what? And pray. Luke six twelve. One day at, uh, soon afterwards, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray and he prayed all night to God. Jesus loved to pray. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was betrayed by Judas, the way they knew where Jesus was is because Judas knew his custom was to go to the Mount of Olives and pray. Judas knew his habits, and therefore he knew exactly where he was going to be. It was a habit for Jesus to pray, and we need to build that habit into our life. We need to build in this idea of prayer into our life. It doesn't have to be Jesus that says prayed all night long. Some of you right now, you're, you heard that verse and you're like, there's no way I could pray all night long, right? I can't stay up. Last night, I couldn't even stay up to finish Dateline. I don't even know who killed her. Like, I don't even know what happened. I fell asleep. Huh? The daughter-in-law. Daughter-in-law killed her. Watch out, mom. She's right in front of you. The difference is... I think that lady was worth like, like $4 million. Perry, she's not worth that much. It's not worth it to go to jail, um, so just stay away. Um, so, so sometimes we struggle with this idea of these long prayers. I remember when I was younger, I, would, I thought, I've got to wake up at 5 a.m., and I've got to pray until 6 o'clock. Like, that's the only way I'm going to be spiritual. That's the only way God's going to bless me is if I pray for this hour. And I would wake up, and within the first five minutes, I would have prayed for everything I knew to pray for, Right? And then I thought, in order to pray and pray properly, you got to be kneeling down and you got to have your head down like this with your eyes closed. Guess what? At 5 a.m., when you're kneeling down and you got your head on something comfortable and you close your eyes, you are going back to sleep. You're not praying. And I did. You would find me like this, you know? And I'd wake up, oh, God. Yes, and I pray for, and I pray for the same five things I prayed for the first time. And I'm sure God was like, I heard you the first time, buddy. Go back to sleep. You know, like, like He's just watching me thinking, that kid is struggling. So we get this misconception about prayer in our life, and, and, and today I'm not going to focus a lot on private prayer, so that's why I'm kind of getting this part out of the way early, um, but, but there's this idea that we need to be praying in a private place. And, and that, that private prayer may not be long, um, but it needs to happen. And, and here's the cool thing. Jesus prayed at multiple times throughout his day, and that's something else I think we forget. We think well, I can only pray in the morning, or I can only pray at night, or I can only pray on Sunday, right? Or I can only pray whatever, whatever your only prayer is. Listen, the fact is you can pray anytime, anytime you want to pray. 
I had a friend of mine one time, and, and his name is Jimmy. He's a, a youth pastor now. And, and I remember Jimmy worked for a printing company, and, and he would take his lunch break, and he would go out to his car, and he would eat his lunch in his car, and he would turn on some worship music. And he, as soon as he got done with his lunch, he would take the rest of his lunch break. He had like, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes to pray. And he, I mean, he would just pray for the rest of his lunch break. And he may have only gotten in, you know, 15 minutes of prayer, but he would get in his prayer time at his lunch break, and he'd go right back into work. I know plenty of people that, that pray throughout their day, and that's something we've got to do is start learning how to just pray. And sometimes we think, well, I don't even know what to pray. Jesus broke down prayer and made it very, very simple. The idea of prayer is not a, an idea of I've got to have all the right words. The idea is I've got to have any words. Like he just wants to hear you talk to him. He just wants to hear you talk to him. He just wants you to express your feelings and your emotions. He wants you to tell him all the good things that are happening in your life. He wants you to tell him all the bad things that are happening in your life. And he wants to be able to speak to your heart about those things. And so that's what prayer is, is, is all about in the private sense. And, 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 but today I want to focus a little bit more on the idea of public prayer. And, and that's kind of the, the vein that we're going. So, so go with me here to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. We're going to read out the... Uh, the NIV for this portion, we're going to go to James 5, 13 through 16. So we got a few verses to read. So let's hang out here for a minute and then, and then we'll get done. So verse 13, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So today we're going to talk about what does this mean? We're going to start in James 5, 14. We're going to skip 13 for a minute. We'll come back to it. But let's go to 14 real quick. Here's what it says. Is anyone among you sick? First of all, let me just say the word sick there means sickness. It's pretty self-explanatory, right? We know what sick means. Um, but it also means weakness, feeble. Uh, it, it can mean um, that you're just struggling with something. In other words, whenever James is talking to people, he's saying, yes, is anyone among you sick? Or are you, are you infirm? Do you have a sickness? You need prayer. But he's also talking, are you just struggling today? Right? Up earlier in 13, where he talks about, do you have any troubles? Are you going through a hardship today? Listen to what God wants to do. God's not just here to heal your cold and your flu and your cancer and your broken leg. He's also here to heal your broken heart. Some of you are struggling today. You may have come in and you had a bad week at work. You had a bad week at home. Uh, something's happening in your life and you're just struggling to make it through. James said, if you're struggling in any way, let's pray about it. Let's do something about it. Let's take action today and, and let's do something about that prayer, uh, about that sickness. But then he goes on to say, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. I've got a couple of little points. I'm going to just interject throughout the message today. But the first point is this. Call the elders. Notice that he says, call the elders. I, I think that's interesting because he's saying, listen, if you're struggling today, initiate the prayer. Don't just pray by yourself. That's good. You're hurting. You're broken. You're sick. Yes, pray by yourself. Ask God to heal you. Ask God to restore you. Ask God to, to mend your broken heart. But then he says, you call the elders. You initiate it. Throughout the New Testament, when we're reading about Jesus, we will read uh, blind Bartimaeus. What was he doing? He's sitting on the side of the road begging. He hears that Jesus is coming by and he begins to scream out, Lord Jesus, come over here and heal me. Like he's calling for someone to come pray for him. 
The Bible says that, that uh, Jairus came to Jesus and said, I need you to come heal my daughter. She's dying. What's happening? There is a place in our life where we have to learn how to get help. And some of us are so stubborn and so prideful that we don't want anybody to know what we're dealing with. We don't want anybody to have to feel obligated to us. And so we don't ask for any help. But James says, you initiate the prayer. You go find somebody to pray with you. Listen, we're not mind readers. We don't know, right? We don't know if you're sick. We don't know if you're hurting. So if something's wrong, we have to initiate that. Even Jesus asked people to help him, believe it or not. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 38, it says Jesus is about to, he's about to go to the cross. He's praying. He brought a few disciples with him to pray. And here's what he says. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. The word keep watch there means to pray. It's talking about, he says to his disciples, listen, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Here I am, king of the universe, God in flesh, and I'm struggling. I need you to come pray with me. It's important that we find people, that we seek out prayer. If you're struggling with something today, we want to give you an opportunity for prayer. We want to pray with you. We want to help you today. And so you've got to be willing to take that step of faith to say, hey, I need help. I need help. I need someone to pray with me. The next thing it says is it says, pray over them. So number one, we call the elders. We initiate it. But what do the elders do? What do we do for each other? We pray over that person. The, word, the words there on pray over has the idea, the context of laying hands on someone. And, and, and so we're going to talk about this for a minute because laying hands on people is something that... Um, I don't want to say it's controversial, but it's one of those things that that I was talking to worship team before. We see it abused so often that we let the pendulum swing too far. So so if you're like me and you grew up in a church where where people laid hands on other people to pray for them, they put their hand on and pray for them, then then you may have seen some abuse. Maybe you've seen it on TV or you've seen it, um, you know, in different places where where we've allowed the pendulum to swing to the crazy and to the um, to the prideful to where where a man is getting glory, not God, right? And you see people laying hands. Jonathan and I were talking beforehand, uh, Pastor Jonathan and I were, and we were talking about how, how many times we've been in a service where someone said they wanted to pray for us and, and they started grabbing us and shaking us, you know, like I'm a milkshake or something. Anybody, I don't even want you to raise your hand because you're probably going to point at someone. But if you've ever been a part of that, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? If you've ever seen it, we, we've been in churches before where the, 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 the person that was doing the praying felt a sense of pride, in my opinion, felt a sense of pride as to whether or not you were to fall out. And so you know what they would do? They would grab you and push you down, right? As soon as that said that, someone in the crowd was going, they, they know, they know what's happening, right? They push you down. I was in a service one time, I've told some of you guys this before, but there was this woman and and looking back on it now, I hate to just call people prideful. We've all been prideful at some point in our life, right? But I remember looking back on it now, and I thought, man, how much pride is in this? But I remember this woman was going around, and she was praying for people. This is one of my favorite stories. And she was praying for people. And when she was going down, we were, we, the people were down in the front, and they were wanting prayer, and, and she was praying. And then all of a sudden, I looked down, and I could see her with the person, like two people down from me. And she didn't lay hands on them in the sense of, I'm going to lay hands on you and pray for you. She laid hands on them in the sense of, I'm going to smack you in the head. And this old lady, she reared back and pop, slapped one guy. And then she reared back and 
pop, slapped the guy next to me. And I remember her getting right in front of me, and I closed my eyes, and I raised my hands. And you know how sometimes you just know, it's kind of like whenever your wife is looking at you while you're sleeping, like you just know that something's happening, even if your eyes are closed. She's right in front of me, and it was like I could feel, I could feel the wind of her backswing, right? And, and, and as her hand went back, I remember doing this. And people saw me and they laughed at me. I went. <laughs> and as soon as I relaxed, bam, she hit me right in the face. You know what I got out of that from the Holy Spirit? Nothing at all. Not one thing. Not one thing. I wasn't thinking about God. I wasn't thinking about the Holy Spirit. I was thinking about, is my nose bleeding? That's what I was thinking. That's what I got out of that experience. Listen, that's not what we're going to do. But here's what happens. We see that. We see that. The pendulum swings way up here to not God. So what do we do to compensate? We let the pendulum swing way over here to say, well, we'll just won't do that. That's just not God. Because I saw it one time that wasn't God. So therefore, none of it's God. And so we will just avoid that at all costs. And so there's some of you in the crowd today. As soon as I said that about laying on of hands, there's something inside of you rose up like, oh, I don't like this already. The reason is because you've seen it abused, and so therefore, you don't want to see it at all. But can I tell you today, if Jesus touched people in prayer, then we should touch people in prayer. And we should allow people to to put hands on us and pray for us in the proper way. In the proper way. And so let me just tell you what, what pray, laying on of hands meant in the Bible. And then we'll talk about some of the things Jesus did. Because um, we're talking about his habits. But in the Bible, um, putting hands on somebody really represented two things. It represented agreement, right? So, so notice, this is not anything super spiritual, what I'm about to say. It represents agreement. In the sense of um, when someone was being, uh, being put in a position of leadership or authority, what they would do is the Bible says lay hands on that person. Right. And confirm. Let's all agree that we're going to lay hands on this person as a leader. So so if I want someone to be on staff, I want someone to be a leader in the congregation. And some let's say let's say one of you is going to going to be the, the head over the sound booth or whatever. I don't make it up stuff. And we say, OK, well, this person's going to be a leader in the church. They're going to be an elder. They're going to be something. OK, what we need to do is get the other leadership and we need to put hands on them. We need to pray for them and agree together that they are confirmed for leadership. It was an agreement thing that people did a lot of times. As a matter of fact, Paul told, tells Timothy, don't lay hands on people too quickly. He wasn't talking about praying for the sick. He was talking about uh, uh, putting people in position of leadership. He said, don't do it too quickly. He said, make sure that person knows what they're doing. Right. Make sure that person's not a crackpot. And they're not crazy. Right. Don't do it too quickly. Uh, the other thing I can agree with you, I can agree with you for healing. I can agree with you for a blessing in your life, whatever it is that you're struggling with. So if you come down and you say, hey, Gabriel, I need prayer today because I'm hurting. I'm I'm sick. I'm broken. Something's wrong with me. And, and so I say, OK, well, let me lay hands on you. Let me pray with you. What am I doing? I'm I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you. Why is it that whenever we agree on something, what do they call it? What it's a handshake deal, right? If you and I agree on something, we shake hands, we high five, we, we do whatever. We agree by touching. The same is true in prayer. If I'm agreeing with you for your issue to be resolved, then I'm going to lay my hands on you and we're going to pray together. All right. Some of you guys are looking at me like a dog at a new pan. Let, let me just do this real quick. If you know your neighbor, reach over and touch their shoulder. If you don't know your neighbor, don't do it. Creepy. Right. Okay, was that hard? Did anybody get hurt? No. What happened? 
You just touch somebody. There doesn't have to be anything wrong with it. It's okay, I promise. Number two is there was a transfer. There was a transfer. So, so you laid hands in agreement. You also laid hands in transfer. So transfer means this. Um, if a father wanted to transfer all the authority and power of his home over to his firstborn son, here's what they would do. They would put their hands on their head and they would transfer all authority and power over to that child. So, so uh, the Bible says that, that Joseph had two boys and he wanted his father, Jacob, to bless them, to transfer over to them the authority and the power of the family. And, and the Bible says that Jacob switched his hands around like a little trickery, right? So he laid hands on the wrong one, laid right hand, which is supposed to be the authority hand, on the yet younger son and not the other. So there's this idea of transfer of blessing, uh, transfer of leadership. Same as we just talked about. Sometimes whenever an older leader was giving way to a younger leader, they would give way to them, not just, um, not just by you know, the handing off of a torch, like that idea, but it was literally they would lay hands on them and pray for them to say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing, I am Uh, transferring this over to you. The other one that we transfer is a transfer of healing. The Bible talks about whenever someone is sick, you lay hands on the sick. Jesus commanded us to lay hands on the sick. Why? There's this transfer of healing to that person. It's important to understand it's not bad. These are the reasons that the Bible gives us. I'm going to give you three. uh, These aren't in your note. These aren't on the screen. I'm going to give you three quick stories of Jesus. Mark chapter five, the Bible said that Jesus healed a dead girl right? He raised her from the dead. How did he do it? The Bible says he touched her hand, raised her from the dead. The Bible says in Mark chapter seven, this is just super weird, like super weird. And this would not work with COVID at all. Um, Mark chapter seven, the Bible says that Jesus healed a deaf man. Here's how he did it. First, he stuck his fingers in the guy's ears. Like, some of y'all don't get that as funny. I think it's hilarious. Like, why in the world? Can you imagine if somebody was going to pray for you, and you came up and said, listen, I'm having some trouble hearing today. And they said, all right, let me pray for you. And they just stick their fingers in your ears. Like, you would be calling me saying, hey, I'm quitting the church. Y'all are a bunch of crackpots, right? Like, y'all are crazy. This dude stuck his fingers in my ears. Jesus did that. Jesus did that. Stuck his fingers in his ears. Then the Bible says that he grabbed the man's tongue. Yes, he did. Y'all said no, but he did. He grabbed the man's tongue and pulled it out of his mouth. Not all the way out, but, you know, out enough. And this is where it gets super crazy. He spit on him. Yeah. The guy was deaf and he couldn't talk, so he's stuck. He's like, oh, I can't really complain. I'm stuck here. And so Jesus sticks his fingers in his ears, wet willy, and then pulls his tongue out, spits on him. And all of a sudden, boom, the guy's healed. What am I saying? Nobody in this church will ever do that to you. (laughs) Ever. Ever. Is it something Jesus did? Absolutely. The idea is there was a place of contact that Jesus made. Super weird contact. But he did it. And that's one of those situations. If someone were to do that to you and say, well, Jesus did it, you can say, well, you're not Jesus. (laughs) Jesus said, lay hands on the sick. He did not say, stick your fingers in their ears. Jesus healed a blind man. In Mark chapter 8, by putting his hands on the blind man. As a matter of fact, there's another story where Jesus um, spit on the ground. He's really into spitting, apparently. And he spit on the ground, and he stirred up the, the dirt and made it into mud and took that spit mud and put it on the guy's eyes, and the guy was healed. Listen, I'm just saying there's a place where we need to, A, call for the elders of the church, and B, we need to be comfortable with the idea of laying hands on the sick. That needs to be part of what we do as a Christian 
Not as a gateway family church person, as a Christian. Because why? Because this is a habit of Jesus. And, and here's another cool one. Matthew chapter 8. Whenever, whenever COVID hit and everybody was sick and everybody um, was staying away and all this kind of stuff, I, I remember um, people wanted prayer, but they didn't want anybody to touch them. Right? They didn't want anybody to touch them. I don't want to touch somebody else either. If you're sick, I don't want to touch you because then I might get sick. And, and, and we had all this no touchy stuff. And I wonder if we really hurt ourselves more than we helped ourselves with that. And I get it. I, I know I'm not a doctor and we've got doctors in the house. I understand that. But I also understand the Bible. And the Bible says that you lay hands on the sick. And here's what Matthew chapter 8 says in verse 1 through 3. Just a quick story. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached and knelt before him. First of all, leprosy in the Bible times was a no-no. They weren't even allowed to live in the same city. And if they showed up in the city, they would have to chant unclean, unclean, unclean so that everyone would know, don't get near the guy with leprosy. He's here for a reason and he's going back out to his cave where we send him because he's not allowed to be with us. But he showed up in front of Jesus and knelt down. And he said, Lord, the man said, if you're willing, you can make, uh, you can heal me and make me clean. Look at what Jesus said. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Here's the cool thing about Jesus. Jesus didn't just lay hands on the people he liked. Jesus laid hands on the people that were untouchable. He was willing to touch the untouchable. He had zero fear whatsoever. And I'm just going to tell you, man, if, if someone needs prayer... If someone needs prayer, they might need you to reach out and touch them. Yeah, but I'm scared, Pastor. I, I don't know what to do. Yeah, but, you know, you should have seen, you know, how they look. They look terrible, you know. It doesn't matter. Jesus said, I, I lay hands on the sick and they recover. The next part we're going to go to is James chapter 5, verse 15. So let's skip down to verse 15 now. It says this, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. So point number three is this. Faith is essential to prayer. We've got to have faith. We've got to have faith. We've got to believe that what we're praying for can actually happen. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 55 through 58, Jesus shows up in his hometown. He's in Nazareth, where he was born, uh, where he was raised. I mean, and, and he shows up in Nazareth. And whenever he shows up, he's trying to do ministry. But the ministry starts stalling out. Look at what happens. Verse 55. Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, the guy that's writing James chapter 5. We know James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown among his own family. And so he, he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. The people had become so comfortable with who Jesus was that they didn't regard him as special. And we look down on the people of Nazareth and we say, you guys are messed up. Y'all should have known this was Jesus. But you know what? We do this in church every single Sunday. Because we've made church in America about us. Church is about the Christian. Church is about, about bless me and make me better. And, and, and how can I be living my best life? And, and how can I be more, more driven in what I do? And it's not about Jesus anymore. And so whenever you dummy Jesus down, you're not going to see miracles and signs and wonders. You're not going to see the blessing that God actually wants to perform in people's lives whenever we treat Jesus like he's a nobody. 
We've got to always keep Jesus as a somebody. We've got to always believe. What do we say um, just about every Sunday? We talk about Peter's first sermon in Acts chapter 2. He says, you've got to know for certain that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. You've got to know. You've got to have faith that he is Lord and Messiah. You've got to know that he can do it. So what do we need to do about that faith? If there's a lack of faith, what we need to do is we need to create an atmosphere of faith. Right. We need to create an atmosphere of faith. So skip back up to James uh, 513. If we skip back up to 13, here's what he says. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. A couple of things I want you to notice there. He says, listen, there's going to be a lot of people show up at church on the same Sunday. Some of y'all are going to show up in a lot of trouble. Some of y'all are going to show up sick and hurting and broken and, and down and out. Some of you are going to show up and you've had the best week of your life. You're going to show up and you just got blessed. You just got a promotion. You, you just had the best things happen to you. And he says, listen, if you show up in the church and you're sick and you're hurting and you're broken and you're in trouble, let's pray. But if you show up and you're full of joy and happiness and fulfillment, let's sing. Like, like there's a place where we celebrate with those who are celebrating and we pray with those who are hurting, but we create an atmosphere of faith. Why do we sing these songs? Why do we sing them first? Well, because that's how you do in church. You've got to sing three songs and you've got to have one fast one and two slow ones. And, and then someone's got to take up offering and then someone's got to greet the visitors. And then the preacher's got to preach and then you've got to close it out in prayer. No, that's not why you do that. You sing first because you're wanting to create an atmosphere of faith. When we sing songs like champion, you are my champion, right? You are my champion. What are we saying? We're saying that no matter what I'm going through today, for those of you that are hurting and broken today, you're recognizing, hey, we have a champion in Jesus Christ. We have somebody that loves us and cares for us and wants to fight this battle for us. We've got somebody that's willing to stare down a giant that we don't feel like we can overcome. And so we've got someone here. What am I doing? I'm building up my faith. And then I'm going to get the word of God and the word of God's going to tell me, hey, you need to be getting prayed for. And so then at the end of the service, whenever we want to pray for somebody, your faith is built up and you're saying, I came in down and out. I came in hurting. I saw these other people celebrating. Why are they celebrating? Because they've got faith that God's going to do something. So maybe God can do something in me too. And so now I've created an atmosphere of faith. In your home, create an atmosphere of faith. I love the fact that my wife... um, you know, if, if she's at home by herself or at home with the kids and I walk in, she doesn't have the TV playing. She's got worship music and she's worshiping and she's walking around singing and she's walking around praying and she's creating an atmosphere of faith even in our home. That's important. It's vital if you want to see God do something special in you and through you. Atmosphere of faith. The, the, the next point is that it says in that same verse, it says, and the Lord will raise them up. It says the Lord. So it says um, uh, where were we in in verse 15? It says uh, it says a prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. So it doesn't say that you will raise them up. Some of you are wondering right now, you're saying, well, if I pray for somebody and they don't get healed, you know, then something's wrong with me. Listen, the Bible doesn't say that you pray for them and you heal them. The Bible says that you pray for them and he heals them. So my job is not to heal anybody. My job is to be obedient to the word of God and then allow his will to take place. If it's his will for them to be healed, then by all means, he will do it. My job is just to be obedient. If it's if it's his will, maybe maybe they're going through something. Perry tells me sometimes um, she she went through an issue with her with her back and she had some back pain and, and she kept praying for God to heal her back pain. And, and she never would get healed of her back pain. And, and so she told me, she said, I feel like maybe God's wanting to teach me something through this. 
And I don't know that I'm ready to be healed yet because there's something I need to learn. And so she began to ask God to teach her, what are you teaching me through this issue? And so God spoke to her. I won't talk about what that is because that's between her and God. God spoke to her about her issue. And next thing you know, her back is healed. Why? In, in that moment, no matter how hard I prayed for her, her back wouldn't be healed. Was that because I didn't have faith? No. Was that because she didn't have faith? No. It's because God had something else to do. And God has a timing that's different than mine. But my obedience is still to pray for her. Exactly. My obedience is still to pray for her. And then I let God do what God wants to do. Some of you say, yeah, but, but I prayed for someone one time and they didn't get healed. We've got two firemen in the room. We've got a doctor in the room, right? Brandon and Schmoll are here. And if I, if I were to have a heart attack right now, they would come running up on the stage and, um, and, and they, would, they would do CPR on me. Right, Brandon? Right? Yes? Schmoll? Yes? They're not, he, he didn't shake his head. Gomez, please. So here's the problem. I mean, Schmoll, how long have you been a fireman? 25 years. Have you ever seen CPR done on someone and they, and they didn't live? Absolutely, right? So, so what if he goes in? What if, what if you're having a heart attack and they call uh, 911 and Schmoll shows up at your house and he says, man, this guy could probably use some CPR right now. But you know what? In my 25 years, I've had, I've had quite a few instances where it did not work. So let's just, let's just not do anything. How many of you would be happy with him? Absolutely not, right? You would be very mad. Like, well, you would be dead. Um, Whoever else is in your house would be very mad. They would be suing the fire department. Just because something doesn't work the way you want it to work one time or two times or 20 times doesn't mean you don't do it. I used, to, I used to tell my pastor, we would, my pastor in, in Mobile would make us go pray um, at the hospitals for everybody that was sick, whether they went to our church or not. Um, if they had a cousin's, brother's, uncle's, best friend's, nephew's, dog's, previous owner, we had to go pray with them. And so I remember going up to the, going up to the hospital to pray, and I wasn't quite like Jonathan. Jonathan would walk up, and he would take his card, and he would fling it in the room and then walk away and just say, I was there, I was there. I, my card is obviously in your... I hope Pastor Jerry's watching this right now. All the people that are on your... And, and I would go in and, and you pray with people. And I would think, why am I doing this? Every time I go pray with these people. And, and then finally God told me, uh, you know what? A hundred percent of the people I don't pray with don't get better. It, it's, it's not a matter of how many get healed. It's a matter of my obedience. It's a matter of my obedience. If they get healed then that's glory to God. If they don't get healed, then, then God must have some kind of plan bigger than me. And I've got to be okay with that fact. But I still have to obey. I still have to do what is the right thing to do. Let's keep going. We're almost done. James chapter 5, verse 16 now. We're going to skip down to 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. We talk about that verse a lot, so I'm not going to hang out on there too, too much. But the last part I really like, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Verse, uh, the, the fifth thing I want to point out today is confess and pray brings healing. Spiritual healing is more important than physical healing. I'm going to tell you that right now. The Bible says that Jesus was in a, in a house and he's teaching. And while he's teaching, uh, these guys brought a paralyzed man to, to get to Jesus, but they could not get to him because the crowd was so big. So they went up on the roof and they tore a hole in the roof. 
right? And when they tore the hole in the roof, they lowered the man down on a bed, down with some ropes, right in front of Jesus. And, and Jesus is going to heal this guy, but here's what he says. He says, son, your sins are forgiven, and everybody was mad. They didn't care if you heal his physical body, but don't you dare forgive his sins. And Jesus says it's more important. It's more important for the spiritual healing to take place than it is for the physical healing. The physical healing is good. That's fine. But I can get to heaven paralyzed. I'll be okay with that because in heaven, all things are new. But I got to get to heaven. Like, that's the most important part. And so what James is saying here is James says, listen... You need to learn how to confess your sins to get that out. Why? Because you need a spiritual healing just as much, if not more, than you need a physical healing. And then he says, then he skips down and starts talking about the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I want to stay there for just a minute and then we're going to close. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Listen to this. Your private prayer life fuels your public ministry. Your private prayer life fuels your public ministry. I just said we've got firemen, we've got doctors in the house. These are people that are constantly seeing people that are hurt and broken. And they're constantly putting their hands on them. I don't want to just preach to the firemen and the doctors, but for any of us, how easy would it be for them to pray for that person while they got their hands on them anyway? And here's something else to think about. If I'm not praying in private, what do I have to give out? We said that prayer, that laying on of hands is what? A transfer, right? What do I have to transfer if I haven't been praying in private? Now, I don't have much. I don't have much. I'm driving on empty, right? If, you're, if your car is on empty, my wife does a lot of great things like fills the house with faith and, and she fills the house, house with, um, with joy, um, but she also can leave a car slap on empty, she, she's got the ability to say, Gabriel, will you take my car and get it full, filled up? And I'll think you probably got a quarter of a tank left. So sure. And I'll get in the car and the, the light is on, but the night, light's not just on. The light's flashing at me and a new message pops up and says, please give me gas. Right. And I go and I open up the tank and it just goes and, and two moths fly out. And I was like, how in the world is she driving? She is a woman of faith because she can drive on nothing. She can do it. She can do it. And what we do is, is, is we keep our tanks on empty and then God says, go pick someone up and we've got no gas to get there. So our private prayer life fuels our public ministry. It's so important that we have a private prayer life so that when we do step into the public arena and God asks us to do something, that we've got the opportunity and we've got something that we can give out. Mark chapter 9, verses 28 and 29. So Jesus goes up on a mountain and he, he's up there to pray with with a few of his disciples. The Bible says that, that on that mountain that God shows up. The Bible says that Moses and Elijah show up. The, God, the Bible says that, that Jesus' um, clothes be, and, and skin begins to glow white. It's an amazing story uh, of just God's miraculous power happening on this mountain. And, and, and then just as fast as it happened, it went away. And the disciples and Jesus come back down the mountain. And on their way back down the mountain, they find uh, a man whose son is demon-possessed. And, and the man's son is, is trying to kill himself. It's a very suicidal issue. And, and, um, and the disciples that were left down there, they're trying to pray for this guy. And they can't get the demon to come out. They can't get the kid healed at all. And, and so they're struggling. And, and so, so Jesus comes down. He casts the demon out. The boy gets healed. They go on about their story. So it says later on, 
in verse 28 of Mark uh, chapter 9. Afterwards, when Jesus was alone in the house of his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. In some versions, it says prayer and fasting. What is he saying? He's saying that in order for me to have power from God in the public arena, I must first have the presence of God in the private arena. I've got to find his presence in the private before I can go out and face the enemy in the public. Let me end with this last thought. This last thought is very simple. It's just let the children come. You'll understand it in a second. Matthew chapter 19. And this is where I want to end the message today. So Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 15. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. Something we must do as a church is create a culture, create an atmosphere where praying for each other is the norm. It's not the exception. I, I've talked to people before and I've lived it out myself. There's been times when, when uh, a pastor would be preaching and he would say at the end of the message, if you need prayer, I want you to come down to the front and someone wants to pray with you. We'll have a, a prayer team. We'll have people here to, to pray for you. And, and I remember uh, being younger and just thinking, there's no way I'm going down there, right? There's no way I'm going down there. And then you're in the back of your mind, you're thinking, um, what did he say in the message Right. Maybe he said something that would embarrass me if I went down there because other people are watching me. And we're worried about what everybody else thinks. And so therefore, we don't take that step of faith to call on the elders for prayer. And look at what we're missing out on. We begin to fight all of our battles all alone. Sometimes we're sitting at home and we're hurt and we're broken and we need God to do a miracle in our life. But instead of calling up somebody and saying, hey, I need you to pray with me about this. We continue to fight our battles because we're afraid of what everybody else is going to think. The disciples are afraid of what everybody's going to think if Jesus is seen with all these little kids. This is below his station, you know. He's the Messiah. He doesn't have time for little kids. Bring the demons in, you know. And Jesus is like, hold up, man. These kids are important. I need to lay hands on these kids. I need to pray for these kids. Like, this is essential to the kingdom of God, what we're doing here. For you to receive prayer, for you to pray for someone is essential to your walk of faith. Don't ever, ever judge anybody. Don't be the disciples. Don't judge anybody for them coming down to the front if they need prayer. At the same time, don't ever feel judged. Don't ever feel like someone is looking at you and they're wondering, what's wrong with that person? One of the things I love to pray at the end of the message is, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me today? I had someone one time tell me I was actually preaching on, on finances and tithing. And, and as I'm preaching on finances and tithing, after the sermon was over, after the message was over, and, and we prayed with people at the very end of the message, I had someone say, I need to give my heart to Christ. I need to get saved. And, and I was like, okay. And they were like, I don't, know, I don't even know what you were talking about in your message today. 
Like I wasn't even like I was zoned out because you said something about Jesus loving me in the beginning of your message. And I need to give my heart to Christ. And I zoned out on everything else you said. I was like, that's totally cool, man. That's exactly what I want to hear. So if he would have come down for prayer, everybody in the room would have thought, oh, something's wrong with his money. You know, he's in debt. Oh, look at that joker. Had nothing to do with money. The fact is, no one knows why you're coming down for prayer. No one needs to know why you're coming down for prayer, except for the person praying with you. And we have to create an atmosphere where that's okay. How do we do that? Here's how you do it. If you see a friend go down for prayer, you go pray with them. Or, if you don't feel like you should go pray with them, you sit in your seat and you pray for them from where you're sitting. And you don't have to know everything. Don't go ask them afterwards. That would be the worst, right? That would be so bad. Lexi comes down for prayer, and then afterwards, there she's at lunch, and Jim walks up and says, Hey, Lexi, I saw you getting prayed for today. You were crying your eyes out. What was wrong with you? <laughs> nope. Inappropriate. Don't do that. But it's important. It's essential. And, and here's what happens. If we create that culture here, then it makes it easy for us to live out this, this life of faith. It makes it easy. Why don't you stand up with me today? So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to make it easy. I'm going to grab a couple people to help me. I'm going to get mom and dad. Y'all going to come down here. Paul and Vicky, y'all come right over here. Perry, you going over there? Get ready. And here's all I want to do today. Here's how we're going to end. Pastor Jonathan will sing a song. And, uh, and you can be dismissed. We'll make it easy. I'll dismiss you from right here. No one needs to come up at the end to dismiss. I'll make it easy for you. But whenever you're done, if you need prayer today, we're going to open up these altars. We're going to open up this area. If you need prayer, I want you to come down and find one of us. Let us pray with you. Let us pray with you. Test it and see. The Bible says taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste there means to experience. Just try it out and see. Just see what happens. If nothing happens, no harm, no foul. If you get healed, if you get blessed, hey, that's awesome. That's awesome. But I'm going to pray over you right now, and then I'm going to dismiss you. And if you need prayer before you leave, I want you to come down and get prayer, and then you can walk out. Oh. The youth wants me to announce they've got youth Wednesday night. Okay. Youth Wednesday night. If you've got a teenager, show up Wednesday night. Let me pray for you. God, right now, I just pray for everybody in this room. And I just ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak to our hearts. Whatever it is we need. Whatever it is we need right now, I just ask that you would, you would heal us and be with us and, and minister to us. God, I pray that you would, you would help us not to feel scared or worried or upset or anxious or have any doubts. God, but fill us with faith today to know that you've got a plan and a purpose for our lives. In Jesus' name. Let, let me say one, one more quick thing before you come down for prayer. I forgot this. And I love that Gomez is here. This is so important, Gomez. You're going to like this part. I, I can't believe I skipped this. So if you go back up where it says, call for the elders to pray for you, and they will anoint your head with oil. They'll anoint you with oil, it says. Anoint you with oil. There's, there's lots of places in the Bible that talk about oil. There's lots of places that talk about anointing with oil. I'm not going to get into that today. Has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now. This one verse. I've never heard this before. Gomez, you're going to love it. I've never heard it before. This is what it says. The word oil there, throughout the Bible, it talks about anointing with oil being different things. But there's, there's a couple of places, like the story of the Good Samaritan, where the anointing with oil had to do with medicine. It, it was not a spiritual thing. It was strictly a medicinal thing. So here's what the Bible says here. When you look at James, and the wording he uses in the Greek for anointing with oil was not the spiritual way, it was the medicinal way. 
So here's what it means. It means that faith and medicine work together to bring healing for us. So, Pastor, you saying I don't, you know, if I believe, if I believe, then I don't have to go to the doctor. Absolutely not. I believe that God's going to heal me. I receive prayer for God to heal me. And then I go to the doctor and I listen to what the doctor says, too. Faith and medicine work together. So whenever you're at the hospital and you're having to deal with somebody and you're, you may not be able to pray out loud over them because of whatever, I don't know. But in, the, in your mind, you're praying, God, I just pray for healing for this person. As I inject them with medicine, I'm also praying for healing. I'm praying that the medicine brings healing and, and health to their bodies because you have created both medicine and you've created healing. And they should operate together at the same time. Isn't that a cool thought? I never thought about it before until I read it today. All right. If you need prayer for anything... I want you to slip out of your seat, come down to the front. If you don't need prayer, you can be dismissed this morning. Thank you for being a part of the service today.